for the week of November 29th, 2020. This is Star Wars TV Talk, where we dive deep into every Star Wars TV and Disney Plus streaming series, as well as all the latest news coming out of Lucasfilm. Today, we are going to discuss the fifth episode of Season 2 of The Mandalorian, Chapter 13, The Jedi. This episode was written and directed by Dave Filoni, and in it, Mando and the child travel to the Imperial-plundered planet of Corvus to search for Ahsoka Tano, who they find embattled against a cruel magistrate. John, what did you think of this episode? I think this one was a long time coming. Uh... Ahsoka Tano is now a live action character. I feel like we saw her audition for her own series in this episode. And uh, obviously we got a lot to break down. We get the baby's backstory. We, we get uh, some name drop. So this was one that in a season where we've done a lot of table setting already, this just, you know, takes it to a a whole nother level with uh, what they're teasing. The future of the Mandalorian series is going to provide. So Definitely excited to break it all down. Well, let's go ahead and jump into this episode. And this episode doesn't take any time off. I mean, we (laughs) start off the episode in a darkish forest and none other than Ahsoka Tano is cutting down these warrior soldiers, people that are obviously trying to stop her from getting somewhere. But Mm -hmm. before we get into what uh, the view or the perspective of this is, I want to talk about her design because her design is obviously much closer to that from the Clone Wars with the I don't know how to properly describe her little uh, the the tops of her head. But they're definitely much shorter like they were in the Clone Wars when in Rebels, they were much more exaggerated and elongated. Right. Yeah. So she's a Togruta and their crests continue to develop. So in the clone war, she was younger than in rebels. Mm -hmm. So I think the idea with rebels was that because this was 15 years on, basically from when we'd seen her in clone wars, that she was just, you know, more mature. And so her, her crest would have been as well, but I think they probably realized pretty quickly that the taller, the apparatus, the more limited her movement's going to be. Right. And so I think they did what they did with the dark saber and they did with Bo-Katan. They said, and we learned this, you know, watching the gallery that this is part of their philosophy and how they approach the, the character design when they're bringing something over from the cartoons is we have to reinterpret this. We have to understand that it was a stylized version of the character or the prop that we saw in the cartoons. So what's the real world equivalent and how do we express it in this live action medium? So it feels true, but it doesn't necessarily carry over the artistic exaggeration that we would have seen in the other properties. And so if you if you watch um rebels in particular um the lightsabers are very stylized and thin and long and the characters themselves are kind of have a, have a lanky quality to them and uh you know long faces and just you 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 get uh, a certain amount of caricature inherent in any kind of animation so they just had to basically pull that back and say okay she's a real person we don't want her to look like a ridiculous cartoon character what's a more sort of modest um head apparatus and i think what they landed on is pretty much the right balance because she felt true to the character but not cartoonish it didn't feel like someone cosplaying you know attempting to recreate the animated version which is all we've known up to this point and because of that i, I think it worked very well and it, it, it allowed her to be limber and free and you know 
jump around and, and really be physical. And I, I'm glad that they didn't hinder her by trying to stay too true to what we saw in the cartoons. And we knew that we were getting Ahsoka Tano. That is all mm-hmm. obvious going into this season. And we figured that it would be this episode. But I was not expecting to get as much Ahsoka action as we got. <laughs> and it's like you yeah. said, by the end of this episode, it's very clear that she is auditioning for her own TV series. <laughs> yes. Because, oh man, like she is, she's basically Batman in this scene. I mean, we get yes. to see her from the perspective of these villains and it is terrifying i mean this is really the first time we got to see this type of thing in live action and boy was it a great payoff yeah no the the horror framing of it um it evoked alien you know we've we've been seeing all these little allusions to alien throughout the season i felt there was a little bit of that uh just you know that that sneaker upper quality of being close up on a character but they can't see in the dark Mm -hmm. what's behind them you can see as the audience we get a lot of that in the fog every time she lights up her lightsaber it's kind of like well it's like a horror reveal because she illuminates the scene and all of a sudden there she is this imposing you know menace behind them uh yeah that's great framing and we did see that in the dark night you're absolutely right that that was the homage is, is obvious to to what what they were trying to evoke with this opening uh, battle against uh, the magistrate's henchmen uh, i thought it was working great yeah a barren landscape but she's using the mist as her uh, sort of like her her ninja voodoo <laughs> to be yeah. able to maneuver around the scene and and misdirect and uh, just completely own these guys in creative ways. Like she's using tree stumps against mm-hmm. them. She's doing the classic Obi-Wan. I'm going to make a little rock, make a noise 30 feet over there to draw away the stormtrooper kind of thing. Um, yeah, she was, she was doing the whole Jedi shtick and I was eating it up. It was so great. And one of my favorite parts of this was her uh, white sabers that we had. Obviously, we've mm-hmm. seen these in yeah. Rebels. But I feel like that Filoni and company really took it to a whole nother level because if you read the uh, at least the Ahsoka novels, what is currently canon is that she basically refurbished the uh, kyber right. crystal from an Inquisitor. Yeah. And the sound that her lightsaber makes sounds like it has a bit of, mm-hmm. you know, maybe not necessarily a cracking that might be in, in Kylo Ren's, but there's something there. There's something extra that's in her lightsaber and it's great. Yeah, there's something not quite um, smoothed out about how it works. Of course, a detail like that's not going to go over Filoni's head because this is his character. You know, he, he knows the ins and outs of this corner of the galaxy, like no one else. So this was written by him. This was directed by him. He's the one that has to have that eye for detail on it. So of course he's, he's not going to fumble a sound cue like that. No way. And then of course, the last time we saw her in Canon, she was going off with, it looked like maybe Sabine looking for Ezra. And we kind of get a theme of that here, which is really awesome. But ultimately she is still not a Jedi. She's still not on that path. She's still very much, I wouldn't say resisting. She's just on her own path. She's decided and obviously made peace with it because she's doing um, a couple of things that may necessarily aren't against the Jedi code, but it's definitely <laughs> not the Jedi way, the way she's cracking and cutting down through these people. Yeah. But all she wants is information. And that's kind of like the the opening teaser of this episode. And I I was already on the edge of my seat. Like as soon as I saw this, I'm like, Oh, we're getting this right now. This is awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is kind of fun that we didn't spend half an episode searching for Ahsoka on this planet. Like you think about how far into a new hope, it is before Obi-Wan shows up and it's just kind of this subtle, like he pulls back his hood and it, and there's a little twinkle in the musical cue and it's like, Oh, it's Obi-Wan. No, none of that. You know, she's just, she hits the ground running in this episode. And I think that's the right way to do it. You want to present her as a formidable force. And 
they already teased her. So there's just, there's no point in at a certain point, you just, you can't keep stringing people along. You got to give them, if you've only got her for maybe one or two episodes, you got to really make hay, especially if you're going to cast Rosaria Dawson. And this is like her debut. You really got to come out swinging with this character. And uh, I think that's really what they were trying to accomplish here. And and I, I think they pulled it off. I, mm-hmm. There wasn't a second uh, of screen time where I'm looking at what's on screen and saying, this doesn't feel like Ahsoka. There was even a part early on where I thought, wait a minute, did they dub um, Ashley Eckstein? Mm-hmm. The, the lady that did the voice mm-hmm. acting for Clone Wars. There was something about the delivery of Rosaria Dawson's uh, dialogue, just the cadence of it, or just some, some vocal effect that, I thought, oh, wait a minute, is, is that Rosaria Dawson or or is that actually Ahsoka's voice? So she was really dialed in. I don't think there was any dubbing. I didn't see anyone else in the credits. Um, so if they did it, they did it on the slide. But uh, yeah, I think she really, really captured the character. And this is exactly what we want to see. We don't want to see Ahsoka like broken on Octu, kind of like how we meet up with Luke later on. Like we, we want uh, a vibrant Jedi that's going to open up the door to some adventure. And um well they just they really really delivered so uh feloni knows how to give the the audience what they want and good on him yeah and if you had any doubts about rosario dawson uh, being cast as this character i think all those doubts are set aside because like you said there is that similar cadence like you feel like this Mm -hmm. is the the same uh voice actor that is doing the voice for ahsoka here but it's actually not which shows the dedication that Miss Dawson has to this role and how she prepared for it. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, she was on the fan bandwagon when people were calling for her to get cast. She was like, yep, right. you, uh, Disney knows my number. They can call me anytime <laughs> they want. And they did. And they did. And that is excellent. Yeah, there's some really, really inspired casting in this show. And it just makes me wonder how long this has been bouncing around the back of Filoni's mind, like who he envisioned being the live action people so that they just knew who their shortlist was from the get-go. Like I think he's had so much time to ruminate with this character that he just knew exactly what he was looking for. So of course, when someone sticks out, you know, he sees Rosaria Dawson, something is like, Oh, she'd be the perfect Ahsoka Tano. That's probably something that crossed his mind a decade ago. And serendipity. <laughs> we're, we're actually getting fruit from that. Uh, I think it's great. And I think the fact, like we talked about previously with Bo-Katan that again, they, they cast someone with like sci-fi fantasy cred, like Katie Sackhoff and someone that they, I think intentionally crafted the, the animated mm-hmm. character around yeah. so that their options were open. Like it, it just seems like such a savvy move that she could slide so nicely into the live action role. And uh, yeah, it just, it feels like Rosaria Dawson is right at home in this role as well. feels very much like you and McGregor taking on the mantle of Obi-Wan. Like it was just something that at least me as a fan, I never questioned. I know that the larger fandom never questioned. Like they just mm-hmm. really, bought that that was like really good casting that's hard to pull off right like young solo was a little more divisive there's been casting along the way that people it it takes people a while to warm up to but i don't think people are going to have any trouble with Mm -hmm. rosaria dawson in this role because i just yeah i think she inhabits it beautifully and after we are well salivated on this ahsoka (laughs) reveal we go back to the razor crest where of course the Mando and the child are on their way to Corvus. They're approaching it and we get, you know, a couple of cute moments where the baby wants that little silver ball again. Yeah. Now, if they knew that in season one, when they first do the the baby ball gag, if they knew that it was going to have a payoff a year and a half later, good on them. Like if they're mm-hmm. that far ahead of the game with the writing, that's probably all Favreau if there's anything to it, or it's just them mining you know, what they already established because it would fit nicely in this episode. However, they got there. What a nice little payoff for something that uh, we already know is close to 
Baby Yoda's heart. Well, I guess we don't get to call him Baby Yoda anymore. Nope. Um, but we, we just already know that he has affinity for that. So if there's anything that's going to get him to perform his <laughs> do the hand trick, it's going to be that little ball. So, mm-hmm. yeah, fun little gag that they set up early in the episode. And before we get to the emotional tugging of the heartstrings mm-hmm. with the ball and, of course, with the child's backstory, we do get Mando going into this village and he is, you know, red flags are popping up everywhere. No one can talk to these outsiders. He's picking right. up on that. And then this magistrate who is amongst these villagers who are living in ruins, yet she is living in luxury. I mean, it's a, right. it's, you know, an, an obvious trope to that what they're setting up here, but it works all the same. And I thought that it was really cool that we are also getting yet another payoff to this Beskar. Because we've known that Beskar has been valued throughout the galaxy, uh, at least just about every episode this season. But we mm. see that this magistrate is kind of ruling with her uh, Excalibur, which is this version of this Beskar spear that uh, she offers to the Mando if he would kill Ahsoka. Yeah, no, I don't know if we'd established in Star Wars lore that Beskar is lightsaber proof I, I don't know if i've ever seen that on screen before it, you know maybe that's been known for a while but that was new to me uh so i i really kind of like how that fits into the larger lore because you know we we understand that there has been a long-standing beef between the ancient jedi culture and the ancient mandalorian culture and we know that the reason why they have their armor in the first place and all their gadgets and just the wherewithal to be top flight warriors is because they had to go toe-to-toe with the jedi so it makes sense that they would have found the one ore in the galaxy that would be impenetrable to lightsabers. And uh, it just it fits so well with the narrative we've already seen. And it pays off so nicely. And, you know, as far as why she has this Beskar, I don't know. Like, they don't really get into that. But it certainly makes a, a coveted prize that makes you wonder if the Mandalorian, you know, might you know might actually take the bounty when, when she first offers it. Um, but obviously, you know he never wavers from the way. So yeah. <laughs> uh, we know that he's kind of playing both sides here to be able to find his way to Ahsoka. So I don't know, more fun. This is a fitting character. The, the idea of the El Jefe, you know, the person mm-hmm. that keeps everyone uh, sort of subjugated while they live in their grotto. There was very much a vintage samurai film feel to this. You know, you've got bonsai trees and you've got, you know, ponds and, like walkways and it just it evoked something very eastern uh yeah. that way and well obviously a lot of um asian casting in this episode too so uh they knew you know what the the picture they wanted to paint here of, of the the tyranny in this little town and uh, i thought it all worked uh they didn't go heavy on her backstory but they gave us enough to know that she was in bed with the imperials she mm-hmm. made her money through some sort of war profiteering and that's all we need to know she's got to go yeah. so you know uh a very easy villain to want to see dispatched by the end of this episode and I have a theory with this spear. I mean, we obviously find out later on in this episode who her, you know, teacher is, why Ahsoka is right. harassing yeah. her. And this is obviously someone who had some run-ins with the Jedi and is very sure. basically um, you know, the this kind of god of war to the Imperials where he he outthinks everything. So of course, if this is how she uh, got it, I think that would be an excellent payoff, but uh, of course, he would give his, you know, apprentice something that they could go toe to toe with a lightsaber and it would be Beskar. So if that's the yep. case, that would be a great payoff. If it's just something that she came across and built herself or uh, whatever, it's still a great payoff. But I thought that this whole thing was yep. a nice little hint. 
yeah, I wasn't reading too far into it. Like Thrawn's a, like a pragmatist and he is always 10 steps ahead. So uh, it's not out of the realm of possibility that maybe he's just like, you know what? You might want to keep some Beskar around because that's going to pay dividends at some point down the road uh, since he's had to study the Mandalorian culture. And, you know, he has, you know, know your enemy, right? Sun Tzu. So yeah, not out of the realm of possibility. I thought that it was just an indication that uh, she's a formidable foe. If, mm-hmm. if she has this kind of a weapon, it means she knows how to wield it and she knows how important it is to be able to have the better weapon. You know, you never, you know, come to a gunfight with a sword. Mm-hmm. You know, she's not going to go toe to, she knows a Jedi is menacing her town. She's not going to be walking around without something, uh, yeah. you know, to call on when, when Ahsoka comes knocking. So um, I just saw it more in terms of, of the, the current distress on her little regime there as to why she would have a, have Beskar, but who knows? That's, that's just lore that they can mine in some comic book mm-hmm. somewhere and, you know, yeah. do whatever they want with. And it's really cool that it's uh, that the Mandalorian doesn't actually say that he's going to kill Ahsoka. He right. just kind of uh, he's very makes coy. her assume that this is what's going to happen. Just, yeah, tell me where she is and I'll go and, you know, do my own thing. Mm-hmm. But we get, uh, of course, the Mandalorian keeping his word. He finds this Jedi enemy sorcerer. Um, <laughs> and it's also nice that they're both, whenever they run into each other in the forest, Ahsoka and the Mandalorian, that they're fighting each other and both adjusting to each other's strength. And of course the Mando, you know, yields and says, Bo-Katan sent me. But I thought that even this 10 second little skirmish that they have was also quite the payoff of something. Maybe it's establishing a greater payoff that we're going to get later on in the season, but I thought it was wonderful. You know, it certainly made for an exciting scene, but at this point I was kind of feeling that there was something about how aggressive Ahsoka's being that, well, it certainly didn't feel very Jedi, right? Like we've seen them cut down droids, but you know, nobody has any remorse for cutting down droids. The fact that she's not kind of fighting with cartoon logic, mm-hmm. you know, where everything's implied or uh, people tend to get away rather than get cut in half more often than not. Like the fact that there's some brutality here and the fact that she comes out swinging, like she gets the drop on Mando and she is already trying to slice him in two before asking any questions. You know, it, there's, mm-hmm. there's no like, meeting 30 paces off. Are you friend or foe kind of a situation? She doesn't give him that opportunity. And I'm just thinking, well, I thought you use the force uh, for defense, never for attack kind of a thing. So I was a little surprised that at this point she's a little battle hardened and she's just assuming anyone that's going to cross her path is probably trying to do her in. Mm-hmm. Cause she's probably been sort of in this, this battle mode, you know, with marauders and, and these town um, henchmen, uh, hunting her for so long that she's just kind of almost like a ravenous beast when we first meet her. Uh, and it's not until, you know, he's able to talk her down that she becomes a little more human there, which is, I think it's just an, an interesting and more nuanced and a little bit more grown up take on where Ahsoka's at right now, which was really compelling, but a, it was a bit of a head scratcher because you still think of her as a Jedi, even though honestly there's, that's not a creed that she's ever um, intended to revisit. Still, you, we think of her as, as a, a virtuous character. So it is interesting to see her be this brutal. Yeah. And it's it's definitely this thing to where she understands what's going on in the universe, even if the Mando doesn't really understand right. it. I mean, he makes a comment that the Imperial, the, uh, the Empire's dead, too, but they're still chasing me like right. all this th- stuff that we're talking about. And she's definitely aware that something is in, you know, something's lurking in the shadows. I mean, she's hell bent on finding Thrawn and whether or not that's to find Ezra or whatever theories are going to be out there until we see what's going on. But she is definitely hell bent on this and she comes out swinging. (laughs) She she definitely does. Now, 
I assume that I understood where we're at in the timeline, but I might be making some assumptions here. So at the end of Rebels, when her and Sabine set off, they don't really tell us exactly how long after, like that's kind of an epilogue. They don't tell us how much time has passed between that and sort of the where we leave off, you know, with the other rebel characters because she hasn't found Thrawn and she seemingly isn't with Sabine. Mm-hmm. My assumption is that that scene in the cartoon takes place after this. Was that your read oh. on it? Or did you think that maybe her and Sabine split up and they're still pursuing it? I that that was kind of my original take was your latter okay. point was that this is kind of something that there's there's something that caused a split up. But yeah, that's right. I didn't even look at that scene as a potential epilogue that was, you know, years down down the road here. But that would make sense. And that could um, be something that that occurs later on. But I think ultimately this is establishing Ahsoka's television series that she will get <laughs> right. where, of course, Thrawn would be the big bad villain of it. Um, but I think, I think that it's more so, or at least my, my thinking is more so leaning that this is something that Thrawn has found his way back from this, Mm -hmm. you you know, the hyperspace whale that took him and Ezra away. (laughs) So I think that that's what's going on. And I think that he's kind of in the shadows because this is of course the time after the empire. We know that, that Thrawn has been in the shadows before and hasn't really revealed himself until he's absolutely wanted to. And so I think that this might be something that is that's going on. Maybe he is trying to build up his own empire. Maybe he's trying to, you know, uh, take the remains of the empire itself and rebuild it in his own image. But I think that she's maybe picking up on some clues that he some of the things that he's doing around the galaxy at the time. So I think it's after, but it's definitely possible that your first point is true as well. Yeah, I think they left it just ambiguous enough that uh, until we have more details on where Sabine's at at uh, this point in the timeline, we don't really know how that all fits together. Um, but her objective really hasn't changed. So where we left off in Rebels, like we know what she's planned to do. Uh, obviously, that's still the plan. Nothing's changed with Ahsoka either. Uh, so very, very nice how everything kind of dovetails. It, it does feel like um, you know, they call it the Filoniverse now. You know, the, the idea that we're going to take all these characters from one series, just transition them as needed into future series. And now in live action, it, it certainly feels like we're, we're laying the groundwork for a half a dozen spinoff series at this point. And the Mandalorian is just kind of the, the nice launching pad for all these characters. Who knows what will come of all that? But, uh, it, it is nice that Filoni at the very least, I, I'm sure the story group is involved in this, but where some people may have thought there was some fumbling with the story group and how um, the trilogy was mapped out uh, and how they kind of thought they were going to be able to have a really cohesive canon, but there's been some missteps over the last five years. Right. It seems like at least with the television properties, they've really got their heads screwed on straight as far as making sure that they let everything overlap and coalesce in a way that is uh, harmonizing rather than, mm-hmm. uh, you know, creating all these kind of um, continuity issues. So uh, I do like that. I feel like we're in the same universe. We're just getting it, you know, in a different visual style, which is kind of what we've been getting since clone wars, you know, clone wars. We've, we've talked about that. Um, the marionette doll wooden kind of aesthetic of that. And then uh, rebels being a, a more, super stylized almost a a simplification you know everything's Mm -hmm. very smooth and organic and now we're in live action but it's all it's all the same stuff and it just Mm -hmm. it feels so good to know that when a series ends now 
Well, no one's ever truly gone. I guess yeah. that's the new mantra of Star Wars, right? <laughs> yeah, and it is. It's quite amazing. <laughs> but one of the things that uh, we can get back to here is the child's backstory, because this is immediately when Ahsoka lets her guard down and realizes, okay, these are more so um, friends than foe. Right. She starts communicating with the child using, of course, um, you know, some some force magic there. But we find out that the child's name is Grogu. Um, but we find out where the origin of Grogu was, and mm -hmm. it's quite tragic. And we knew that it wasn't going to be yeah. the best thing in the world because where the Mando found the child, we knew that there was something something dark um, here. But the child grew up in the Jedi Temple on Coruscant, and of course was uh, was taken, not, and not necessarily taken, but was uh, escaped with some other person in the temple during the uh the siege on the temple now this is something that uh, there's so many hints that were set up here and i feel like okay either john carlos Pizzito was lying when he said that we shouldn't expect any answers or he knew that this was coming and was like this just opens the door for a million other questions because number one we hear grew up in the temple and had many masters mm -hmm. which means that either Master Yoda himself felt like the Grogu needed multiple masters to assist him with his training, or uh, a number of his masters were in fact killed during the Clone Wars. Both would make sense, and of course, both are kind of tragic in their own way. And then the other thing is Ahsoka, and it's kind of this teaser, right, where Ahsoka says, after that, uh, his memory just becomes dark. Right. Yeah, that's um, it's kind of convenient, right? We're not going to get into that, but it also kind of fits too, right? Like if this baby fell into the clutches of the empire and is basically like, you know, put on ice for future experimentation or something, who knows, you know, like what that baby's been through in the last 25 years, but very, very interesting that they lay out just enough to tantalize you and, and any prequel junkies are going to have so much to speculate on. Like, was it the librarian Jocasta knew, you know, she was one of the last ones to be able to um, ferry some people out uh, of the temple, you know, before Anakin finally does her. And was she involved? Like, is there a mini series there that I would totally tune in for um, between that? And yeah, who were the masters? There were two of baby Yoda species on the Jedi council. The year that little Bogwin was born you're telling me that there's no connection there. I think there's still something that could be explored there. I think our, our baby Yodel theorizing from season one may, may prove true in the long run. Mm -hmm. Uh, that being the case, Yoda usually was the one that would do the, the early years training on mm -hmm. younglings before they became Padawans. So does this mean that this little fella, um, you know, maybe was under the tutelage of a Yoda or a senior member of the council early on. But then, you know, as you kind of go through the ranks and you, you begin to develop and, and get paired off with, with other masters, was that just something typical at the temple? They could be alluding to that, but you're absolutely right. If someone ferried him away, uh, at the last moment, kind of like a, a Kane and Ezra sort of situation, you know, in hiding, did someone try to further his training before? Mm -hmm. Um, he got caught up with the empire. Who knows? Like this, they, you feel when Ahsoka is telling you that, that you're learning so much, but you're really not, you're just yeah. learning all these other questions. The only thing we really got that we can put to bed now is a name, yeah. uh, which honestly is, is brilliant writing, you know, to make people feel like they're getting a payoff after so much time. And uh, it really just turned into that much more speculation. Yeah. Uh, that's fun. You know, that's, that's, what's going to keep us tuning in for 
I think three more seasons we know it's been picked up for at this point. So mm-hmm. we're getting, we're going to get a lot of Mandalorian and uh, they just got to keep asking these questions week over week. Cause they got to do something in the last season to pay it all off. Yeah. And like you said, it opens up far more doors than it closed in this little right. uh, reveal here. But yes, we have a name for the child and it's Grogu, you know, a very Star Warsy name, a name that, that is in line with Yoda and, and Yaddle here. Uh, something that makes sense <laughs> for the species. Uh, but yeah, we have a tragic backstory. And of right. course, Ahsoka is like, okay, I'll, I'll test him. I'll see what, you know, what he can do. And she finds out immediately that, okay, he's suppressing his powers because he's trying to stay hidden. And it's sad because in our perspective, this is a child. This is a baby. But of course, in, in the real uh, Star Wars universe here, we have a 55 year old, I believe was the age. Yep. And, of course, it's already seen too much for its age, but it, it's it's sad when you hear like, oh, yeah, it's suppressing its power so that, you know, the Empire won't come and try to find him and kill him again. Right. So probably about 51 at this point, if we're going to be precise, because I think when the bounty went out, they said it was a 50 year old mm-hmm. uh, Mark and, you know, Mando's been palling around with him for a little while. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Uh, again, just more questions than anything. It does get kind of interesting because you don't get the sense from Yoda that he spent like 600 years of his 900 year existence growing up, Mm -hmm. right? Like you don't get the sense that it takes forever for them to grow up. You just think that they live a long time. That's why Yoda's like so old and wrinkly and so wise. Mm -hmm. And with baby up to this point, we've gotten the impression that uh, it kind of has the mental faculties of a baby. You know, it just wants food and it just wants to play and get into mischief. And it doesn't really understand what you're saying too much. And this kind of blurs those lines. And it, it reminds you that this creature has been around for 50 years. So even if it develops a little slower mm-hmm. than a typical life form, it's well past babyhood. If it was being trained at the temple for a decade, maybe two, yeah. right? Like, cause this is, this baby's basically the same age as Anakin. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Anakin fell around age 22, right? Mm-hmm. 19 in episode two and a couple of years after that, at the end of the Clone Wars. So yep. yeah, somewhere in early twenties. So this baby would have been in its early twenties at the fall uh, of the Republic. Mm-hmm. So that suggests that the baby has far more ability and um, like mental acumen than we've seen. And I'm just trying to wrap my head around exactly how we're supposed to view baby as an innocent, helpless baby, or as something far more savvy that's intentionally being juvenile for the sake of uh, just playing up its innocence and not alerting people to its, its abilities. But if that was the case after a year with Mando, you'd think that it let its guard down a little bit and they'd have some conversations, but anyways, more questions and answers. So many more questions uh, and Ahsoka can kind of cut through it a little bit because she can connect with baby Yoda at a uh, more fundamental emotional force level than uh, Mando can, but still, I just, I don't have a good beat on how we're supposed to read baby from here on out. Yeah. And I think that there's some real world twisting in and writing in, uh, cause what we have known in the past, you know, decade, as we've expanded on, um, adverse childhood experiences, we've had some of these things to where even, you know, toddlers in the real world, uh, are quite adaptable and they adjust mm-hmm. to their surroundings when they're exposed to trauma and they, sure. And even if it's subconscious, they're subconsciously doing something to avoid repeating that trauma, even as young as, you know, three years old. And so that's something to where I kind of read into it, where 
it may be a little bit of both of what you're saying, where we do have this kind of innocence of a, of a child here. And that is, that doesn't want to repeat something. And, and it's, you know, the last 30 years has realized that when it does something like overuse the force or continue on with its training, it uh, attracts some sort of darkness or brings some sort of right. uh, consequence. And so that was kind of how I read into it, which is also setting up the stage that this is not, you know, this child has not lived the happiest life and is definitely a, a child of trauma and is something that is going to be played out here. And we see that when the Mandalorian breaks out the little silver ball, like now right. the kid is willing to open up to what he has now accepted as his father, which is, of course, the Mandalorian. And we get that, of course, when Mando uses his name. And every time he says Grogu, we get, you know, yeah, the child, you know, perking up, looking up and. You know, kind of emotional for such a such a dark episode here. <laughs> yeah, so you're right. So the the baby has developed a lot of coping mechanisms to just figure out how to get, stay under the radar, and there could also be some emotional stunting or like developmental stunting when you face trauma earlier on in life, and also the idea that things went dark for twenty some odd years, and there's just nothing that Ahsoka can really penetrate maybe they literally had him on ice, you know, maybe, maybe baby Yoda spent some time in some carbonite yeah. or something like we, we honestly don't know. Uh, so, you know, there's still a lot more questions and answers with that, but I, I think you could be right that this is speaking a lot more to just, uh, the emotional toll that mm. the empire has put on the baby more than anything. So, uh, if that's the one takeaway that the baby's volatile and capable of darkness and is kind of, you know, selfish too, mm-hmm. they use the force when it benefits them. And that's kind of what we've been seeing. I want an egg. Okay. I can make those eggs come to me. I want a, yeah. I want a space Malamar. I can, I can make that come to me like that kind of stuff. Uh, that's not really what the force is supposed to be used for. So uh, yeah. What kind of headspace is baby in and, and should baby be trained as a Jedi? That's a legit question that Ahsoka raises. Mm-hmm. And part of her question is that she understands that there's some sort of darkness within this child that she's not willing to really, um, expose it to she's not willing yeah. to train it because of the trauma that it's seen and because of its attachment to of course the mandalorian and she right. is of course hinting at anakin skywalker and what she uh you know came to realize in the end was a, was happening to him and right. this is once again kind of the same thing maybe his memories aren't so dark maybe it's something that he is suppressing intentionally to avoid you know bringing back this darkness which you know a lot of children against the uh, again that have been exposed to trauma do right. in the real world but maybe Ahsoka's unwilling to even dig. I mean, she kind of yeah. gives up after she's just like, yeah, and his memories just go dark. Um, maybe mm-hmm. she's not willing to dig to further expose him to to that trauma because she has seen ultimately what could happen there. Yeah. And even if she just doesn't want to touch any of that, she sees very obviously that there's that attachment that you already talked about. There's this father-son relationship at this point. And if this kid's already volatile and she takes away the one like sense of security that he's got, that's not a good foundation. It wasn't uh-huh. with Anakin, you know, uh, as much as maybe Qui-Gon could have made a go of it. If Maul hadn't gotten the way, uh, we know that there was a bad path that Anakin was started on when he was taken from his mother. So yeah, yeah, I gotta, I gotta agree with Ahsoka. We saw a baby force choke, uh, Cara Dune last season, mm-hmm. and we know that baby's a very impulsive, emotional creature. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on team Ahsoka here, but that doesn't mean you deny it the opportunity to, to define its own destiny. If it really wants to commune with the force and see if the force wants to will it 
uh, a master to train it, um, she'll at least point them in the right direction, which honestly, if you listen to the wording, that's all she promised. Yep. She didn't say she would train him. Uh, she said that she would see to it that he was trained properly. Yeah. So. Or that he would choose not to be trained properly. And right. And this is something where, you know, it, it's obviously an emotional, you know, pulling on the Mandalorian because the Mandalorian loves this kid. He has fallen in love with this kid and wants to keep <laughs> it around to the point when right. he's about to say bye. He kind of yeah. holds him there in the razor crest for a minute to kind of have that last moment. And fortunately, Ahsoka shows up and basically brings up this middle ground. But this is once again, the Mandalorian is a Mandalorian of his word and his word to the armorer was that he was going to unite the child with these sorcerers so that it could be, you know, properly uh, raised by his own kind. Yeah. Yeah. There's something very touching about that scene where. Yeah. He's he's so committed to the way and to his honor and his word that he's struggling to force himself to like put the baby down like he just he needs one more minute to steal himself and get ready for for this inevitable moment and uh yeah Ahsoka doesn't give it to him so he's partially relieved that's why he probably doesn't you know press her like wait a minute don't go back on this yeah I I think deep down he's probably happy to have uh, a couple more opportunities to skirt around the universe with this little munchkin that has warmed his heart and then we have um you know before we get this big reveal we have the mandalorian like you said he's he is this person who keeps his word and this is something where he's like okay ahsoka if you're not willing to train him you know i see that you have your own thing going on i'll help you with your own thing if you help me with this and if Mm -hmm. you agree to take this child and then they go and they liberate this city which is of course where we see uh, just how effective Baskar is against uh, Ahsoka's lightsaber to the point where she is almost bested by this magistrate. Yeah, I didn't read it quite that way. I, I thought she was kind of toying with the magistrate. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like if Ahsoka really wanted to, she could have, you know, cut down the magistrate very, very easily mm-hmm. um, because she's more interested in information. I feel like she kind of had to let the magistrate prove to herself that there was no way out of this, that yeah. Ahsoka would just keep coming and just, it's, it's almost about demoralizing her in a way. So that's kind of how I read it. Like the, the Beskar uh, staff or spear, the spear of destiny. Uh, it's a, it's obviously a formidable weapon, but yeah, I still, after what we saw Ahsoka do in this episode, I, I feel like, yeah, she didn't just have to stand there and, and give the magistrate an opportunity to, take out her outer robes and and get ready for a, a face-to-face duel kind of thing. Like that was generosity on Ahsoka's part. And it was really just to prove that, yeah, there's, there's no getting away from this. You know, this yeah. is, you, you're going to give me what I came for one way or another. Uh, that's at least how I read it, but I mean, you can interpret it however you want. And then of course we, like you're saying that kind of adds more weight to just how, how bent she is on finding Thrawn because right. she is, you know, I know that a part of her wants to help liberate this village, of course, but her primary focus when she got in there was to provide a distraction so that she can be alone with the magistrate and have that moment. And really, mm-hmm. you know, uh, as I was watching this, I was thinking, you know, it's really easy to cut off some fingers whenever you have a lightsaber and another person has a spear. But she's not going in for those kill shots, like you said, right. because she is interested in finding that information. And she gets something, obviously, because you don't cut away from a scene like that and don't show <laughs> us what happens to the magistrate right. on purpose. Like, that is very intentional. Um, and I think it's going to be something big. Uh, there's something big going on here with Ahsoka, whether or not we find that out in The Mandalorian or in Ahsoka's series. That's that's yet to be determined. <laughs> uh, yeah, 
yeah, I'm, I'm grinning because uh, of course, you know, I want to know, I want to get on with more and more adventures. And now that we've been teased with Ahsoka, obviously I'm ready to see more. And I know that we're not going to get that much more out of her for the time being, mm-hmm. but I'm very happy that Lucasfilm has kind of figured out what the second coming of star Wars is going to be in the Disney era. Yep. The silly pandemic has kind of put them in a corner that fortunately they're equipped to deal with. Mm-hmm. They've got a streaming platform. They've got great television talent and they've got an infinite universe to play in. And I, I think we're going to get some really, really fun shows coming out over the next couple of years, uh, mostly out of necessity because the theater just ain't going to be a thing for a little while, but uh, what a great time, you know, like with them having the technology, they have to realize these worlds and great talent um, kind of helming the, the stories between Filoni and, and Favreau. This is a great launching pad for more stories and mini series and whatever they want to do with it. And I just, I, I can't wait to see what they're cooking up. Cause you know that you've got all this stuff in pre-production. We're hearing the rumors. We know scripts are being worked on. Uh, I'm just, I'm ready to start seeing what else they, they can come up with outside of, you know, the Mandalorian proper. And uh, yeah, Ahsoka is going to be a great character to, to run with. Well, they've already found out a way to keep me ultimately stressed with subtle, you know, hits and angles of the camera, <laughs> especially with this fighting scene, because we, it was revealed to us in the last episode that, of course, there has been a tracker placed on the Mandalorian yes. ship, and the Mandalorian leaves the child on that same ship while he goes to liberate this village. And that was something to where this whole fight, I'm like, I'm enjoying everything that's going on. I'm enjoying mm-hmm. we're seeing Ahsoka in, you know, true form. It's been great. This whole Western style fight between, uh, you know, the right hand man and, of course, Mandalorian was awesome. Oh, that's but right. We didn't even talk about Kyle Reese. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean didn't mean to derail you, but yeah, we got a, a fun little cameo. I don't know if you if you're a Terminator fan or an, an 80s cinema fan, but um, what what is his name? Uh, Michael Bean. I think that's right. Did, did you make a note of that? I should have I should have made a note. Um, but yeah, Kyle Reese um played a, a really fun character. You know, a a no nonsense kind of gunslinger. They have this this showdown where. They've both got their fingers on the trigger and he's trying to sell Mando on him being a pragmatist. Like, look, we're both hired guns here. Mm-hmm. Only one of those people is going to walk out. Why do we have to be a casualty for something that is going to happen regardless of what we do here? But he's also a bit of a jerk and he's going to try and pull a fast one on Mando and Mando ain't buying mm-hmm. it. Uh, another fun scene right out of every Western movie ever. So this episode delivered in a lot of ways and I, I feel like we didn't quite do justice to just how much action there was in the back half outside of the showdown, you know, between um, the magistrate and Ahsoka. But yeah, a lot of fun stuff, especially in those little alleyways where, again, we get back to that horror framing of, mm-hmm. you know, where is the menace? Is the menace creeping up on me? You know, how, who's getting the drop on who? There was a lot of that kind of fun stuff. And since this was a Filoni episode, probably worth mentioning that as a live action director, I think he's come a long way since what he was doing in season one. So uh, I'm going to offer high marks across the board to the, the action in this one. Cause I felt it was really effective. Yeah. And kind of going back to my, my stress, even throughout <laughs> all this amazing stuff that's occurring here, I'm still stressed out because I know that there's a tracker on that razor crest. And right. I was convinced that Mando was going to get back to the razor crest and there was going to be no child, but uh, that was obviously something that Filoni was, you know, intentionally doing, which is it, that's an advanced thing to capture with just subtle hints and and camera angles here. And so, you know, hats off to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had the same feeling at one point when um, he walks off the ship and he kind of leaves the back gate open. And I'm just thinking, oh, right. When he comes back, there's going to be like two speeder bikes out front and stormtroopers yep. kind of like swarming it. Uh, so I, I thought that, yeah, they were going to close in on him quicker. But 
I think they're maybe saving that for a finale episode or, well, we've only got three left. So I think we're getting into like our finale run coming up. Um, so yeah, that's going to pay off sooner or later. That just wasn't the story that Filoni wanted to tell. And that's okay. I mean, we got so much other good stuff and, you know, a, a pretty like satisfying way of winding down this episode too, that I don't think you needed a cliffhanger. I think yeah. just, you know, Ahsoka and Thrawn and the baby's name and everything else that we got in this episode was more than enough. We didn't also need to be baited to come back. We're all coming back yeah. for the next episode. <laughs> and, and I think that this is something where the final stage, you know, of this, of this season may take place on this Jedi temple that, that uh, the Mandalorian is going to on Titan, because this is something where, Moff Gideon's on his tail. So the next right. two episodes and maybe two and a half episodes might be Moff Gideon and Mando really battling it out. And then, uh, of course, you know, the classic, you know, uh, trope of where we get in Star Wars, you know, the, the the twin sons on Tatooine that we see at the end of a couple of the films. Mm -hmm. It might be something to where the last shot of this season may be uh, eyes opening, hearing Grogu's sure. call from someone. Well, yeah, so I mean if we if we want to jump into speculation here for a minute, there's a couple ways this could go, but I think if 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 I was going to just lay out what I think the last scene of season 2 is going to be, I think you're right. I think maybe we get to the temple, they they go through the the ceremonial act of of getting baby to commune with the force and you know, maybe a hooded figure, you know, shows up on the the horizon and maybe that's going to be Luke because we know that this is getting very close to the point where he's going to be trying to set up some sort of Jedi Academy. So yeah, maybe, maybe he's eager to find some, some younglings and some force sensitive children. Uh, that could certainly be a thing. That would be a pretty big thing. That might be something that they push back a season, like with the way that this show is mostly episodic and then a little bit of pushing the larger narrative forward each week, they could totally drag this out another season before they get to that temple if they want it, who knows? But, um, Sooner or later, I think we're going to have that scene of just this hooded figure and who is it? Maybe that's how you go out at the end of a season and then, you know, they'll reveal it sort of like they did uh, with uh, Force Awakens kind of a thing. You know, like mm -hmm. they finally connected with a Jedi Master that can take baby. Well, and if Ahsoka's TV series isn't going to be based on her trying to find <laughs> Ezra, it may be Ezra that hears this call. I mean, we've seen that this theme of connections and things all making, you know, the circle of life, so to speak here. And so maybe this is what pushes Ezra on his final path that he, you know, finds maybe it's not his path to fight against the darkness. Maybe it's his path to, you know, to train up a next generation sure. and to make sure that, you know, we don't have very many broom boys in the future. Um, sure. So, uh, you know, who knows what's going to happen? But what we do know is that Moff Gideon is he's coming and he yeah. he has a path. <laughs> he knows where they are and he's going to get there. Yep, he's got the tracker. We know that he's got I, I think the Internet has dubbed them dark troopers like that was something mm -hmm. out of, you know, old lore. But what we were seeing on that base, I think the expectation is that they're they're bringing back the idea of the dark trooper. Mm -hmm. Um what what he's going to do with them who knows all questions we've had what five episodes of almost non-stop questions and setup we got three left i hope that we uh, start getting some answers real soon i can't wait to see what is in store we know that uh we're going to get some awesome dark saber stuff coming up soon and yep i'm ready for it <laughs> uh same time next week we'll uh hopefully hopefully have a few answers and while the people wait for us to release the next episode of Star Wars TV Talk, where can they hear more from you, John? 
Well, SNL is still on hiatus, so I'm enjoying a little bit of time off from my other podcast, SNL After Party. Uh, but we do have 121 episodes there that anyone can binge if they are into SNL and want to hear our take on the show and um, you know all the craziness that goes on at Studio 8H, particularly during COVID. Uh, that said, SNL will be coming back next week, so we're going to be picking up our coverage with their three-episode Christmas-December run. So if anyone wants to get a sketch by sketch review of the latest SNL. They can look for SNL after party on YouTube or wherever better podcasts can be found. And you can keep up with this podcast throughout the week on Twitter at star Wars TV talk and by emailing us at hello at star Wars TV talk.com. And you can access the rest of our episodes at star Wars TV talk.com. And by searching for star Wars TV talk, wherever you get your podcasts and please don't forget to subscribe. You can find our network at TV talk.fm. Thank you so much for listening, and may the Force be with you, always.